Chapter Six of Black Paul by Ben Ames Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the second day afterward, the Deborah ran into the fringes of bad weather. In mid-morning, the wind began to rise unpleasantly. The glass was falling, and the skies were overcast. Black Paul had been driving the schooner under full canvas. He was a bold man without being a reckless one, and when the signs turned against him, he ordered topsails furled and reefs fore and main. It was Dan Darren's watch on deck, and Dan went forward to direct the work. Black Paul was aft with the old missionary. The mate was below in his cabin, Ruth in hers. When the work was under way, the captain turned and said, Best come below, father. The wind's a rough one. The old missionary shook his head. His cheeks were ruddy with the buffets of wind and spray, and his eyes were shining. "'There's still sap enough in this old body of mine to like it,' he said. Black Paul laughed. Then he caught Dan Darren's eye and bade him watch for a space. He meant to go below for his storm gear and return to take the deck. It was in his mind to be no more than a minute below but when he dropped down the companion, the ship and the brewing storm and the sea were all forgotten in what he beheld. The door of the girl's cabin was open. Beyond this open doorway, Ruth was struggling in the arms of Red Paul. She was fighting silently, pushing at him with her hands against his breast, and Red was laughing and whispering to her. At the sight, Black Paul felt something surge in his breast, that he had not known was there, a hot flood of passion and anger. For an instant he stood quite still, choking against the beating of his own heart, and his face turned black. The girl saw him, and called softly across the cabin, "'Captain Paul, please!' He had time to mark, even then, that her voice was level and unafraid. As she spoke, Red Paul turned his head, and over his shoulder beheld his father. He loosed the girl, and turned half-crouching. He moved forward two steps to the cabin table, and rested his great hands on it, and gazed at Black Paul, eye to eye. That instant the flood of passion in the captain's heart burst its bounds. He leaped forward with the swift and silent ferocity of a beast, and at sight of his convulsed face the girl shuddered. But she held her ground in the corner, watching. The cabin was so small that there was no room for any manoeuvring. The table in the center left only narrow ways about the sides. It was like witnessing the battle of two lions in a pit. Black Paul, in his charge, seemed not to see the table. He struck it with his thighs, and stout as it was, and secure as it was in its place upon the floor, it was wrenched loose and flung against Red Paul, bearing him back and for an instant he was pinned against the wall, the table against his legs, his father's huge knotted fists lashing at him. Since Red was a child, Black Paul had never struck him in anger, and now, at those first blows, the son was whipped to a fury as fierce as that of Black Paul. He ducked, bent his back, and thrust the table from his knees. He came on Black Paul then, from the side, head down, he got his arms about the other's middle. Their two bodies crashed down upon the table, smashing it to splinters. 
The sudden tumult in the cabin had brought the missionary and Dan Darren running. Pinned in his son's arms, Black Paul saw them, and he called in stern, sure tones, Dan, on deck, take the ship. Father, stand away. I've a lesson to teach here. Dan obeyed instantly. The missionary paused by the companion, watching. Tighter Red Paul's arms wound about his father, as though he would crush the older man. Red was the stronger. He was built broad, built thick, built solid upon the ground, whereas Black Paul was lean and long. Nevertheless, Black Paul had more of the lore of rough and tumble, and through the years his strength had ripened, not decayed. Held down now by the heavier man, crushed in that vice-like grip, he cooled to a deadly ferocity then worked his long arm up for a blow that, when it fell, rocked Red's head upon his shoulders. For an instant only, the other's muscles slackened, but the instant was enough to let Black Paul get his elbow beneath the other's throat, and thrust up and away. Red was finally forced to yield, for if he had not, his head must have been torn from his shoulders. He writhed back, shifting to obtain a fresh hold, and Black Paul squirmed to one side, and to his feet, and so was free. He stepped back, breathing deep into his strangled lungs. Instantly, Red sprang to his feet, lowered his head, and charged. Black Paul was too wise to send home a blow atop that lowered head. He had seen many an unwise man break a fist thus and lose thereby. As Red came near, he stepped to one side with a lagging foot, and Red stumbled over this foot, and went into the cabin wall with a crash that would have stunned a weaker man. As he straightened, Black Paul met him with a blow full in the face that drove Red's head back against the panelling. Then the younger man ducked, and blocked with cunning elbows and shoulders hunched high, and strove again to come to closer quarters. Black Paul was still too nimble for him. It was like a bullfight. Red was the bull, and Black Paul's blows pricked him again and again as he charged fruitlessly upon and past the older man. In the end, Red understood that what he wished to do could not be done in this way. He must stand and fight, and so he changed his tactics. Standing back, he took his ease and caught his breath while Black Paul pushed the fighting. Red was content to guard, take what blows came, and wait till his strength was restored again. When he was ready, he lifted his head and began. In such fighting as this, Black Paul had all the advantage. He was taller and swifter of foot, and he had three inches the reach of the other man. His knuckles cut Red's cheek, smashed Red's mouth, beat a tattoo upon his face that would have killed another man. As for Red, he did not strike for the head. He was plugging at Black Paul's ribs, but Black Paul's fists had a way of tapping Red's biceps or wrists in a fashion that took the strength from these blows. Meanwhile, he landed almost at will upon his son, and any one of a dozen blows he struck would have plunged a weaker man swiftly into oblivion. After a time, this became plain to both of them. Red realized that Black Paul could not hurt him, that he could endure the worst the older man could send, and Black Paul knew this as quickly as his son. Nevertheless, he would cut Red to pieces with his blows. The mate must weaken in the end. He struck, and struck, and struck again. 
Red lowered his head into the shelter of his left shoulder and rested his right arm, fending with the left. And he began to wait, and wait, and watch for the chance he sought. Sooner or later his father's chin must come within reach of that waiting fist. And when it did, his chance came quickly. He ducked a straightforward blow that slid across his shoulder, and brought Black Paul's face within a few inches of his own. Before the captain could guard, Red's right whipped up squarely on the chin, a little to the left of the point, where the full jolt of it was instantly communicated through jawbone and skull to those nerves which bear to the muscles the messages of the brain. Black Paul went spinning backward, slack and weak and helpless, and Red gathered his breath and leaped. There was no more than a second's space between Red's blow and his charge, but that second was long enough for the sickness to pass, long enough for Black Paul to gain control of his shaking body once more. Then Red had him around the waist again. He felt his son's hip thrust against his thigh and knew what was coming, the throw for which there is no guard, no defense, except to yield to it. Black Paul let himself go limply, but as his feet left the floor, his hands reached out and got the grip he sought. His long fingers closed on his son's neck. He sank them home, pressing, pressing. He was in the air, all his weight flying, yet his hands still gripped the other's throat. So the momentum of his own throw dragged Red Paul forward, overbalancing him. He fell atop Black Paul in a rolling heap, and Black Paul's thumbs sank in between the great muscles at the side of the neck, and the gullet in front. Their paralyzing pressure stopped Red's breath, stopped the blood in the great arteries that feed the brain. He felt insensibility enveloping him. Then, with a mighty effort, he flung his elbow into Black Paul's throat and broke the hold. For an instant again he was free of that choking terror. They were grappling, entwined like snakes in a knot upon the floor. Black Paul's hand slid beneath his son's arm, and with all his strength he drove his thumb in against the tender flesh that covers the ribs at the armpit. There is no more excruciating pain. Red Paul screamed with it and fumbled frantically for his father's wrist. Instantly Black Paul's fingers found the other's throat again. Red slackened and choked and was limp. Black Paul shook him, once and twice, and then he flung him to one side and rose upright and stood gazing down upon his prostrate son. His shirt was torn away. His iron-gray hair was down about his eyes. Blood smeared his shoulder and his mouth. Still, he was a heroic and unconquerable figure, strong and sure. The girl who had watched it all in silence from the doorway now uttered a soft, almost breathless cry. Black Paul looked toward her and laughed through his bloody lips, and then looked down again upon his son, who was choking back to life. The missionary had stood impassive by the companion throughout the fight, watching the two men. All three now watched the man on the floor. Red Paul groaned and gasped, and so at last could breathe again. He sat up weakly, supporting himself on his arm. Black Paul bent and lifted him with a hand upon his collar. He slapped Red harshly on the cheek. "'On deck,' he said. "'On deck with you, and sharp now.' With one murderous look at his father, 
Red Paul turned and staggered to the companion. Halfway up, he paused and looked again at the captain through level eyes. Black Paul laughed and waved a careless hand. Sharp there, he said. Red went up to the deck, disappearing from their sight. When he was gone, his father glanced uncertainly around and began to tremble and sway upon his feet. Then he sank softly to the floor, and leaning heavily against the cabin wall, he closed his eyes. The girl came running to him, sobbing, and when he opened his eyes and saw her face above him, he smiled. The old mockery danced in his eyes, and he flung an arm about her neck and drew her down and kissed her, still laughing. "'I've earned that, haven't I?' he challenged. She crimsoned, and into her eyes flashed a look of hurt and sorrow. The old missionary turned from one to the other, but said nothing. "'Come, you don't grudge that kiss?' Black Paul demanded of her gaily. She answered quietly, "'I'd have given it. I'm sorry that you took it so.' "'Then give it,' the captain bade her. And she bent and kissed him on the forehead, her hand upon his hair. And the heart in his bosom leaped at the caress. "'Was that not a fight worth seeing, Ruth?' he cried. "'Worth winning?' "'It was terrible,' she told him. Oh, even though he is your son, I am afraid for you. There was death in his eyes, Captain Paul. At that the captain laughed again, and, stumbling to his feet, stood swaying above them. Fiddle, he said, he's fanciful, but he's not a man to fear, not Red Paul. The girl looked at the missionary, and saw her own fear mirrored in his, and something of sorrow as well, but she said no more. End of chapter 6